Area 10 Faith Community meets in the Historic Bird Theater on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Join us online this Sunday, August 16th, as we temporarily pause our in-person worship gatherings as we gather more information about a potential exposure on Sunday, August 2nd. Out of an abundance of caution, this coming Sunday, August 16th, we will live stream our worship services only. We hope to return to the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, here's last week's message. I want to talk about racism today, so let's get right to it because there's a lot of things to talk about there. It's a very big topic, and this is a weird topic because it's so hot right now, and um, I, have, I have thought about how I would go into this and what, what we could talk about today, and, uh, and really there's a process, just to let you in a little on the writing process of how I write what I do up here. There's a process where you go to the scripture and you go, okay, what does the scripture say? And you kind of dig through that. What is the Bible teaching? How do I understand the context of the scripture in its day? And then, and then you look at, all right, what does our culture say? What does our culture say about this topic here and now? And then how do, and then, then the sermon becomes the scripture, the culture, let's see how the scripture informs the culture and sometimes agrees with it, sometimes challenges it, and then let's talk about that and what are the applications of how do we walk out what the scripture says in our world in the modern day. Usually that's pretty simple. You talk about marriage, you talk about um, digital you know, stuff, you talk about consumerism, you got kind of go to the scripture, what does it say, what are the principles, and how do we apply it in the modern day? When you get to a topic like what we have today, uh, it's tricky because it's not that difficult to figure out what the Bible says. The Bible's pretty clear around some of these issues, so you go into that, you say, got it. But when you go to the culture and you go, what does the culture say about race and ethnicity? Now, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's a big jumbled hot mess. Uh, it's all over the place. And you're like, well, we can't even agree on what words mean anymore. Like, I, I thought I understood the definition of racism, and now it's a totally different thing. And it's just like, it's very difficult to, to kind of sort through all that and pick through it all and go, what is the world doing? What are, what are we... Uh, what, what is the world teaching about this issue? So how do we apply this? So this is a tricky one to uh, get into. And in addition to um, the, the world saying a lot of different things about it, um, over the last couple months, on, on, the, on the heels or, of a pandemic or as, we, as people were locked down for a long time, I think during the, the months of the, the most severe lockdown of like some March, April, May, I think um, that wasn't great for the mental health of a whole lot of people. And, and so what, what you saw in June was um, during protests and stuff, I think there were some, some legitimate things that were being protested, but I also think there was a lot of pent-up energy and a lot of like, people spiraling into not good places in their minds over the course of several months, and it kind of erupted in addition to high unemployment and a lot of things like that. So um, it, people have not been in a very good space, and it also seems like as we've been trying to have a race conversation in this country over the last couple months, um, it, it seems like people are in this spot where they're, they're almost willfully misunderstanding each other. I don't know if you've noticed this. It's like people don't even want to understand when you start having conversations. And not just about race. We kind of did this about masks as well, right? We said, oh, you know, if you say, I, I think I'm going to wear a mask. And then people will be like, why are you listening to Dr. Fauci? He's wrong. And this is all a hoax. And you know, you're like, I don't know. I just think maybe I should. It seems like the right thing to do. And then, and then other people, you know, you say, oh, I'm going to wear a mask. And, and then people sort of freak out on, on that. Like, you're giving in to the liberals and, and whatever. And you're just like, could everybody just calm down, like, I, or, or you say, I don't want to wear a mask, and people are like, you're trying to kill grandma, and it just gets weird, right? Like, it, it gets way over the top, and, and there's not space for reasonable, 
nuance, like let's find a reasonable position to stand here, let's talk about what all the issues are, let's balance competing factors, let's pull it all together. Like we don't do that well right now. And so you throw race into the mix and it's like, oh, this is not going to go well. We're not going to have this conversation in a reasonable way. And our online behavior is terrible because we're kind of anonymous. And and it's translated into our in-person behavior because you can put a mask on and be kind of anonymous. Everybody can feel like a bank robber or like you're robbing an old stagecoach in the the 1800s or something. So like our behavior has not been great. So to have this conversation, it's pretty tough, right? I've had friends who've preached on this topic over the last couple months, and uh, it, it, it has not necessarily gone well for them. I had a friend who did a sermon on, on race back in June when things were uh, pretty, pretty heated right in our country, and um, he got emails and phone calls, and why didn't you say Black Lives Matter in your sermon? And he's like, okay, well, let's talk about that. So he talked about that, and then, and then other people were like, why are you talking about this at all? This is too much, and people leaving churches and dividing over stuff like this, and it's like, whoa. Satan must be having a field day trying to divide the church over these issues. So let's, let's talk about it, um, and, and, and let's, let's talk about it reasonably. I, I know that this is a topic, like so many, that we come to preloaded. No one's coming into this conversation with a blank slate, like, I've never thought about different ethnicities. Let's talk about it. Oh, this is so interesting. Like, we all, we all have stuff in our head about it. Knowing that, there's probably not I'm going to say that's a ton I'm going to say that might, that might change your mind. So what I want to do is open up the scripture, talk about uh, some things that were written around this idea, and I want to let God's spirit go to work on us and let him do his thing in, inside of us because he, that's what it's going to take. I want to do my best to give you the scripture as it is and let the spirit work on you. Now, there's three reasons we're talking about this today. Number one is, we are this entire year tracking with a book called Core 52, which is a 52-week study through the scriptures, and we are following along the topics on that. This week, the topic is God's solution to racism. So it is the topic that was, we had kind of laid out before this year started that we would be talking about this today. So that's one reason we're doing it. If you don't have a copy of that book and you want to follow along with us, it gives you a daily study to do, a sort of Monday through Friday so I'll talk about it today, and then all of this week you can go through it and, and kind of dig into it and dig into the scriptures. Go to the welcome table when we're done here, and you can get a copy back there. So we're doing it because of Core 52. Secondly, we're doing a series called House Arrest, Life Lessons Under Lockdown, looking at letters that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was under house arrest and in jail. And so we're trying to take some principles that we learned there and also talk about principles of things we have learned under lockdown as a country here over the last several months. And so um, that's the second reason we're doing that. And the third reason we want to talk about race is that it's an important topic. Um, this is part of the creative work of God, and we want to talk about it, and, and, it, and it matters. Um, and, I, and I think we need to understand the biblical framework around it so that we are uh, treating other people well. And so um, there's a lot we could talk about around this topic. I had a friend, I asked another pastor who was going to do it teaching on this. I said, what are you doing with it? He said, I'm doing four weeks on it. I was like, yeah, that's about right. That probably would take, take that. I'm going to try to do it in one, which means you're not going to make it to lunch, um, which is fine because they're not open anyway. Um, so, uh, but I, we could probably do a class about it and we may look at doing that down the road so we can really dialogue more. But if you have questions on this topic, email your, or text your questions in. Number, there's a number there. You can text your questions in this room. If you're watching online, you can text your questions and I'll try to hit some of the question, question and answer at the end. All right, so 
Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to go. The, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter of Ephesians while he was under lockdown. And uh, we have looked at, in the last couple weeks, we've looked at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And we've said, look, the gospel, the, the kingdom that, that Jesus proclaimed, he said, look, I'm a new, I'm, there's a new king in town, and uh, he has made the enemies of God friends of God. And he has brought people who were far from God, has brought them near. And this is incredibly good news because all of us have been far from God at some point. And so uh, all of us have sinned, all of us have messed up, and we are able to be in relationship with God. And so um, he... he teaches all that, says by grace we've been saved. We kind of went through that the last couple of weeks and talked about how faith is, is valuable and important in that so that we can be the people of love that God calls us to. And I want to read to you how that section ended before we jump into this next section. Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says this, for we are his workmanship, God, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love this verse because the word workmanship is the Greek word poema, which is the word that we get our word poetry. So really what this is saying is we are God's poetry. And I love that. We're not God's building. We're not God's, um, you know, plans. Uh, we are God's uh, poetry. Like God creates all the mountains and, and, and the, the, the trees and the rivers and the lakes and all these things and then the animals, which are all cool in their own way. But when it gets to humanity, with people with a soul, God goes, oh man, this, they're, they're my poetry. This is my, my crowning achievement. They're, they're fantastic. This is humanity. That means you, that you are God's poetry. But not so you can be like, look, I'm poetry. Aren't I wonderful? I'm, I'm beautiful. I'm like a sonnet. You know, I'm going to compare myself to a summer's day. Like, no, it, not, not just so it's like that. Um, he says you're created, you're God's poetry, so that you will do good works, so that you will actually faithfully live out your, your, your faith. You will walk that out and you will do good works. You will do good things uh, and, and love other people well. So notice we are all God's poetry. There's no reference to skin color or anything like that. There's no reference to ethnicity. It's just all of us. We are God's poetry as, as God's children in, in humanity. Um, and this is a beautiful thing. So he says all of that, and then he's going to go to, so everyone reads verses 1 through 10, but hardly anyone will read verse 11 and beyond in chapter 2, but this is where I want to get to. Where he shifts to is a conversation a little bit about Jews and Gentiles, and to, to set that up, I want you to understand that the Jewish-Gentile split is the race conversation of the New Testament. It is in the background of so many books of the Bible is this Jew-Gentile controversy or split. Basically, the Jews, as we think of Jewish, we think of it as a religion, but for them, it's religion plus eth ethnic group. It is a people group that traces their lineage back to Abraham, and potentially, you could really go back before that to one of Noah's sons named Shem. So they trace their lineage back there. That's the, the Jews. So for them, it's not just, I'm a religious person who's Jewish, and I practice Jewish rituals, and we sing Jewish songs, and all of those things are wrapped up in it, but it is, it is a cultural and ethnic identity. And so they are the first people that accept Jesus, because Jesus was Jewish, he was one of them. They accept him, as, some of them accept him as the Messiah. They don't think of themselves as becoming Christians, like we would say today. It's, they just think of themselves as Jews who now believe in the Messiah, the Savior that has come. And so there were some people that did that, the early Christians were that. And the problem comes up for the church in that not just Jews were starting to become followers of Jesus, 
Gentiles were. Gentiles are the other people. And, and so in the, in the Roman world, the Gentiles are kind of your average Roman citizens. The Jews would be this small subset of people. They looked at the Gentiles, at the Romans, as if they're profane, ugly, foul. Think of the Roman Empire and all of the, the things that you kind of picture, the glory of Rome and the, you know, the crown of grape leaves and the, you know, the togas and the whole toga party thing that they did back then. That's the Roman Empire, and those are Gentiles. And so for the Jews, we don't associate with those people. We don't like those people. They don't get it. They don't worship our God. They're foul. They're dirty. They eat weird things. They have weird sexual practices. They just have all the things that we don't like. So there's a big difference that is that you, could, you would say racist now, but there's an ethnic difference between these groups. And Gentiles are becoming part of the church, and they're becoming Christians, and they're going, and the Jews are going, okay, I guess we'll let them in. They're different. This is kind of weird, you know. And so uh, that, that's a thing going on uh, in, in, in the early church, and they're struggling with it big time. That's the context of what I'm about to read to you, okay? So Ephesians 2, let's start with verse 11. This is what Paul says. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at times separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, have no hope, and without God in the world. All right, he says, you Gentiles, he's talking to these Ephesians in Turkey who had become followers of Jesus, and he's saying, you guys, um, remember you used to be the uncircumcision. So circumcision is a thing in the scripture, right? Uh, cutting off foreskin, right? So it, that, that's, a, that's a thing, and, and it is a difference between Jews and Gentiles. Now, I would argue it's not a difference that's incredibly obvious. You know, usually you cover yourself up the way you dress or whatever, but it was a difference, and, and you read it, and you go, man, they're really hung up on this stuff. Like, why are they calling? You know, it's like, What's the big deal? But it was a big deal. And so they, they said, okay, you guys are different. And, and with all your differences, and think about that, like you guys are ethnically different. You, you look weird. You, have, you look different than us. You have different cultures, language, food. Um, you guys were separated from God, and now you have been brought near to God. Um, now let's talk about ethnic differences there for, for a moment. Uh, ethnicity is what uh, is 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 part of the diversity that God has created. There are no races. Okay, race is a modern social construct. There is one race, a human race. You can the scripture affirms that. You can go back and look at science; it affirms that as well. We we trace our lineage to a common ancestor. There are no races. So when we talk about other oh, of a different race, no, they're not. We're all human. There are different ethnic groups. There are different ethnic groups that develop their own cultures, languages. They live in different. Usually, they live in different regions of the world. Um, they they develop different skin darkness or, or lightness depending on where they are. Um, there there are, there are ethnic differences. Um, and over, over time, the, the, those differences grow over the course of human history. You know, you get darker skin throughout history, and you give offspring, and maybe they get darker, they get lighter over here because there's no sunshine where they live or whatever. Like, there's these differences develop over time. But we are all one race with different ethnicities. What is the point of that? Couldn't God have made the world with everybody basically looking the same? And I guess he could have, but it would be really boring. Right? I think there's something to the ethnic diversity, the palette that God has chosen 
That is a beautiful thing. That is a creative thing. That is an artist, that is an artist doing his work. That is a poet making his poema, his poetry. There's something beautiful about that we are all different. We are all different ethnic groups, but we all come together. And, and we dis- when we are all together, um, at, even from different groups, we display the handiwork and the glory of God. I've seen this all over the world in, in, the, in the opportunities that I've had to travel. When I have worshiped with Christians from all over the world, I see the beauty of God's design. I have been in a small village in a church in Haiti and seen how the people worship and the, and the, and the enthusiasm that they have. And I was like, man, that's a little different than you back home. You know, I've been to an Arabic church in central Turkey and seen how those folks have bonded together in, in, as Christians in a very Muslim country. And they've, they, they bonded together and I see the passion of their worship. I've been to, you know, uh, sort of a very Anglican service that's very proper and very, um, you know, liturgical and I've seen how they worship where a lot of, you know, repeat this and I've seen the Catholic thing in different places and, you, and I'm sure you've seen some of this too and it is not like, oh, these are all wrong and these are all right and it's just different. You go to a, go, go around Richmond today to a sort of a, a black Pentecostal church and it is, it is an a wild thing, man. It's like it is a lot of energy and, and, and enthusiasm. And I'm like, man, these people can celebrate, you know? And so it's different. And then you go to other churches are very quiet, you know? Oh, you shouldn't, you, shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't be rowdy before the Lord. You know, you need to be respectful in God's house and all that kind of stuff. This is the diversity that God has given to the world. And we express faith differently, and that's okay. And when all those things come together, we get a fuller picture of of God and, and a, a fuller picture. And so within that, there's no place for white supremacy or any other kind of supremacy because Genesis 1 tells us that all of us were created in the image of God. Every single one of us, every person you've ever locked eyes with is, is in the image of God, no matter what they look like on the outside, what color their skin is or, or anything like that. Um, we are all made in his image and his image is not bound to any particular ethnic group. Now, you might say, well, of course that's true. Like, everybody knows that, Chris. You're basically, this sounds like kindergarten. You're basically saying all people are God's children, and then they're all, you know, like, sure, we all know that maybe, maybe now, but in the course of human history, this is not how people have treated people. We have not treated people like everybody's created in the image of God, like it's so self-evident and obvious, even though it should be. This is what the Scripture tells us is true about us. How, how often in history have people started treating other groups of people as if they are something less than them, that they are less than the image of God? They're subhuman in some way. America obviously has a, a, a several hundred year history of slavery and doing that, and I'll get to that in a moment. But it's not the only place. It's gone on all over the world. 1994 in Rwanda, the Hutus slaughtered 800,000 Tutsis because their skin color was a little bit different. And they started to dehumanize them and said that, and, and, and if you saw Hotel Rwanda, you saw the, how they sort of portrayed that. They started to call people cockroaches. That's how they referred to them. As soon as you can dehumanize them, you can justify taking their lives. This is not unusual to that part of the world. It's all over the world. Look at historically how the English treated the Irish. To, to us, we go, y'all talk funny, all of you together, you're the same people. We're like, no, no, we're very different, and there's a big split there, right? Think about those kind of things. This goes on all over the world, and it definitely happened in, in this country. Um, during the, the Confederacy, uh, there was uh, the, 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 the sort of the black-white split 
uh, Caucasian, African-American, whatever, however you want to say that. There was a split here in this country going on for hundreds of years, and the founding fathers knew it was a problem. They knew they needed to fix it. They just couldn't figure out how to fix it. And so the Confederate States was formed in 1861 and lasts till 1865. Side note, the Confederacy lasted a, a, about as long as your high school years did. Uh, maybe less than your high school years if you took extra time, uh, right? So it did not last long, but in that short period of time, it was built on the idea that, and wow, this is popular to say in Richmond, isn't it? Uh, it was built on the idea of slavery. And, and, and unless you want to argue that, let me read you the quote from Alexander Stevens, who's one of the founders of the Confederacy, about what they were trying to accomplish with the Confederacy. 1861, our new government is founded on the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. Alexander Stevens did not read the scripture because that's not what it says at all. But that was the idea. And so how do you get there? Well, you get there when you start not believing that people are created in the image of God. You start going, oh, well, some people are better than others. Forget this, like all men are created equal and have unalienable rights. Nah, some people, just by the basis of their skin color, means they, they, have, they are a lesser group. Um, and, and so he was saying one group is more valuable than another group based on the color of their skin. And this is what always I listen for and what concerns me, even when I hear it today, whenever someone makes a big deal out of skin color, this ends badly in history. When people say, this is the most important thing about me or about you is this, this does not go well, and it concerns me when I see it because we always, when we make skin color the thing, we always end up ignoring the dignity and the image of God that resides in all of us. We ignore it, uh, we ignore it um, and to, to our detriment. Now, so what some people have done in terms of, of color, skin color, they have, they have shifted to, and this is probably... My generation older, you hear this more. They've shifted to something like, well, you know, um, I'm not racist. I'm colorblind. And that was like the hot thing to say for like a long time. It was like, you, like colorblind is like woke in 1980. If, you're, if you say like, I was colorblind, you're like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't see color. Which is an interesting idea. Um, and I get why people say it. And if I'm not going to, I don't want to intentionally misunderstand people, right? I go, okay, what they're trying to say is I am not going to discriminate based on the color of skin of someone else. I'm not going to discriminate against that. And I get that. That's what they're trying to say. Um, but, but I want more nuance there than that. Because the truth is God gave us ethnicity. And, and, and that is a beautiful thing. Uh, one, one pastor I really have enjoyed listening to, I'll post a link to, to one of his sermons later on, uh, Vody Bauchum, and he, he's, a, uh, he's a black man, grew up in California, and now he is a president of a seminary in, in Africa. And um, he, I, I remember he, watching a sermon of his, and he's talking about this colorblind idea. He's like, no, we should not be colorblind. Let's, let's not be ridiculous. We are not colorblind. He goes, God did not give me all of this beautiful melanin so that you could ignore it. I'm like, that's, that's great. No, I mean, everybody brings something to the table, even in their ethnic background. It, there's, it, it's, it's great. So that's where Paul starts. Look where Paul goes next, because this gets really good. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. What is Paul saying? He's saying, look what Jesus did. He took you and I, people who were hostile. We had racial tension between Jews and Gentiles. We had ethnic problems. And you were far from God and he brought you near. But not only that, he, he abolished this dividing wall between us, a dividing wall of hostility. The dividing wall, there's, there's, there's a history to that. When the Jews would worship in Jerusalem, they worshiped in a large building, the temple. And the temple had different rooms or kind of sections set up. The, the very center of the temple, and, and if you go to Jerusalem today, you can see where the temple was. It's now the, the, the Muslim shrine, the Dome of the Rock. You can Google that later. Um, but if the temple was in that space, and in the center of the temple was called the Holy of Holies, which is the place where the Ark of the Covenant, yes, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that Ark, um, before the Nazis got it, and then it was stored in a warehouse in D.C. It was in Jerusalem... It was, in, it was in Jerusalem, and, um, and that is the place where God's presence on earth was, the most, the most tangible expression of God's presence right there with the people. And if you were a, a Jew, you were not allowed to go beyond the curtain into that room. Only the high priest could go in only once a year. So you don't go see God. You don't just waltz in on God like that, like you go once a year at this, uh, uh, at this appointed time. Outside of that, you had uh, something called the... Um, there was the, the, this court where the Jews could be, so regular Jews could come, and they could get close to the Holy of Holies, but not too close, right? There's a spot there. And between there and even outside of that, there was a wall, and it was set up, and beyond that, the Gentiles could come. So the Gentiles could come and stand at the wall, and then beyond them, the Jews, and then beyond them, the priests, and then beyond them, the Holy of Holies. So uh, you had this setup where it was a very physical representation of, here's God at the center, and you are progressively further and further away from him. And so when he says that Christ has pulled down the wall of hostility, he's talking about a couple things. One, our sin puts a barrier between us and God, and Christ removed that barrier. One of the cool things, a little detail you see, that when Jesus dies on the cross, as recorded in Matthew, that the curtain, the temple curtain of the Holy of Holy, it splits. It's a weird thing. So he dies on the cross, and over there in the temple, the, the curtain splits from top to bottom. What is that? That is God separate ripping apart the dividing wall between God and man. He's saying, I'm going to be with you now. There's no longer this wall between us. That's what happens when Christ dies. So, so, so one, he's referencing that, that all of us have had that curtain ripped and we can now be close to God. But also the wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, this ethnic problem, this racial tension. He said, Christ has done away with that wall. And here's the deal. No matter how Jewish you are, no matter how Gentile you are, together we are now one in Christ, and he has made peace, and there does not need to be hostility between our ethnic groups, between our racial groups. There's no, there's no space for that. He has made us one. We are all now the same. We are, we are level at the foot of the cross. This is what Christ has, has done, and it's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. This is why Galatians 3 says it this way. Paul later will say this, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Through faith, we all came in that same way. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. As long as you're baptized into Christ, 
you, you clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no, no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. He's not saying there's no difference between Jews and Greeks. There's no difference between men and women. There's no difference between slave and free. He's saying everybody is, is equalized in a sense before, before Christ. We are all part of the family of God. And, and being female does not keep you out of the family of God. Being Greek does not keep you out of the family of God. Even being a slave, which is not a great condition, this does not make it so that you can't be part of God's family. This is what Christ has done at the cross. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. So Jesus tore down the wall of hostility and made peace. So when we talk about reconciliation among races, the thing we need to know first is Christ has already done that and we're not going to make it better or something. like We're not going to do what Christ has already done. He has brought people together. And, and, and you see this all over the world and all throughout history as Christianity spread across different ethnic groups. Christ makes them all family. Um, and this means that I am brothers and sisters, I have brothers and sisters of all sorts of backgrounds and ethnicities in this city and all over the world. And when I, so when I, when I see this, when I worship with friends in Haiti or when I worship with friends in Turkey or something like that, these are family to me. I feel a kinship there. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter, no matter if our languages are different or if we like different foods or whatever, we are all brought together as a family. But if we are all family, here's the question. Um, how's everybody doing in the family? Let's little, little family check-in. How is the family doing across all ethnicities? I don't know how you feel, but when you have children, the way, the way it is for me, I have three boys. And if you ask me, how's my family doing? There's a couple of generic ways to answer that. But really, the way I feel about it is my family's doing as well as the sickest person in the family or the, the person who's hurting the most or who's going through the biggest struggle. My family's only as good as that person there. I mean, yeah, other, you know, we could have successes and some things are going well, but, but if someone's struggling, someone's, you know, that, that means our family's not doing well. And so I, this is what I'm trying to listen to when, when, when protests are, are breaking out around our city, when people are saying black lives matter and they're paint, spray painting that all over the place. Uh, what, what I hear is that someone in the family is hurting. And so I, I've tried to reach out to people, people I know um, in, in our church and outside, like, hey, how are you doing? How is this landing with you? How, how are you tracking with this? And I, and I tried to listen because if, if the protests, if protests are the cries of the unheard, um, then, then I want to hear, I want to understand what's going on. Why are we, why, why, what are the protests about and how are you? Um, and it has been an interesting few months on that as people have rallied around these different causes. Uh, Black Lives Matter is the one that, that had the most, I suppose, traction here over the last, uh, over the last few months. And, um, and I've tried to process that. And I think Black Lives Matter as a concept, if you take that statement as a concept, uh, it's an important one. And actually, it should be like abundantly obvious, so obvious that you shouldn't need to say it. Like, oh, you're saying a group of people, like they matter? Yeah, well, like, 
Sure, like definitely. But the fact that someone felt like they had to say it means that someone feels like it's not being, they're not being treated as if they matter. And so I'm like, okay, I need to pay attention to this. And the response to Black Lives Matter is not to say all lives matter. I know it's very popular. I know it's a thing. And I know someone's probably offended right now hearing me say that. But here's the reality. Um, it's just weird. It's, it's, it's just like, yes, all lives matter. We get it. And if, and, and if the people who are saying Black Lives Matter, if they felt like their lives mattered, and theirs fit into the all of all lives matter, we wouldn't be having this conversation, it'd be fine. But they're, they're trying to wave a flag and go, hey, notice that there's something going wrong here, that a member of the family is hurting, and I think that's okay. Um, it's, it's weird that we sort of get to all lives matter because I think when we do that, we are in willfully misunderstanding people and we are um, asserting a point that doesn't really need to be ma- made. I mean, when Jesus shows up in the, uh, in the world and he teaches, look at all the stuff Jesus taught. He's like, talking about the marginalized and the hurt and the oppressed and the poor. And I remember in Luke, I think it's in Luke 4, Jesus stands up in the synagogue of his hometown and he reads the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he says, um, I am here, basically, I am here to proclaim good news to the poor. He says that. And do you think that someone in the synagogue stood up and was like, what do you mean loving the poor? All economic statuses matter, Jesus. Not just the poor ones. No, of course they do. Of course they do. But Jesus knows, hey, rich people get, it, get away with stuff and they got it a lot easier than, than these folks over here. So they're struggling. These are the ones I'm going to shine a light on and say, hey, let's help this group of people. That's, that's the point, right? Um, and I think Black Lives Matter should be heard in a similar vein. Uh, it's the, 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 there's the protest of the unheard and they're saying, hey, there's some things that aren't great over there. And I think the Christian response to that is to go, well, how can I help? Like, where, where do you need me? What, where, where's an area that I can step in and, and make a difference? Um, I, I would draw a hard line between Black Lives Matter as a concept and Black Lives Matter as an organization. And if you have not read their website, you can go do that. They have a website. You can see what they're about. I would not subscribe to the things that they're about. Um, and, and we could go point by point through that. I'm not going to take the time to do that right now. If you want to hear a point by point breakdown by another preacher, I've got one and I will email it to you where he walks through, says, hey, don't say what people believe. Take them at their own word, read what they believe, read what they say, and then, and then do you align with that? And, and, and I don't with the organization, but I do with the concept and I think there's something there. And let me be totally transparent there with you on this. Um, I, as I have watch the news, and watch the, the protests. And, 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 and I think there needs to be a distinction between protests and riots, right? Some people are throwing bricks through windows because they want to throw brick through windows and steal stuff or, or, call, or have all sorts of other reasons. They're burning Bibles and there's just like all sorts of things going on. But I think the protests, the cries of the unheard, as, as, I, as I watch that, as I try to process that, as I'm reading the news and I'm, and I'm looking at what's going on, I'm listening to friends and talking to people and trying to, trying to pull it all together, I got questions, man. I, I, honestly, and I, I'm, I'm just telling you like I've not settled on all of this. I, I, got, I got some questions about what actually went down with George Floyd, that, which was the, the, the powder keg for a lot of this, right? Like what went on there? And I got questions like, you know, he, Clearly, there was something very rough there in the way he was, he was treated. And this eight minutes, 56 seconds of the officer kneeling on his neck and stuff. And, 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 and then very quickly, the narrative goes, this is, this is a racist thing. And it becomes about race. And it becomes this whole thing. And, and I'm like, 
All right, like a guy named Tony Timpa was uh, an officer kneeled on his neck for 13 minutes in Tampa, Florida a couple years ago, and he died. And he was white, and the officer was white. Was it a racist thing, or was it just a procedural thing and and some things within the police department that needed to be adjusted? Like, I, I think those are conversations that we should be able to have about what is actually going on in the world, because if we're going to look at, uh, if we're gonna make everything about, about one thing, there's a good chance we might be missing what's really going on. And I'm not just saying that as a white guy, there's plenty of black people and other people who are saying that as well. I'm just saying we've gotta pay attention to what's really going on. And listen, there's a part of me that when I see this stuff, I wanna throw the flag or I wanna call foul and I say, I don't know if that's right and I don't know if that works. But then, there's a part of me that goes, Why do you want to throw a flag? Why do you want to call foul on this? Do you want to call a foul because you're really committed to truth and you believe in nuance and you believe in let's be thoughtful in our approach and all that? Because that's what I would like to think about myself. Or do you want to call a foul about the George Floyd situation or whatever? Do you want want to say, I don't know if that's quite right. Do you want to say that so you don't feel responsible and you don't feel like you have to carry any sort of blame for anything that's gone on. And I have to look deep in my heart at that stuff. Honestly, the easiest thing for me is to not preach this message today. It's easy, it would be easy to not talk about it. What I could do instead is I could like get on online and I could be like, yo, did you guys see 13th? It's really good. You need to see it. You need to understand what's going on in the criminal justice system. Hey, here's my book review of White Fragility. All my white friends need to read this. We you know, need to talk with this conversation we need to have. And if I did that, I would earn some woke points. Some of y'all, some of y'all would be like, oh, he's lost it. He's, you know, whatever. And then some of you would be like, about time. I'm glad the pastor is dialed into the, you know, like I, I get it. Um, but I, I just hate things that are for show. I really do. I, I hate things that are, well, let me do this so that you will know that I am and you, I will look like I am whatever. I really don't like that stuff, and so it's difficult for me. But I'm, I'm challenged by all of this because I have been to racial reconciliation rallies in my 14 years in Richmond, and I have held hands and stood side by side. I, 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 I signed the statement that our church believed in, in wake of Charlottesville, sort of the anti-white supremacy statement that a whole bunch of churches in Richmond signed in August of 2017. Um, I've seen all that, and I've seen the conversations that we've had, and I've been in those conversations, and I've held the hands, and we've prayed the prayers, and we've cried the tears, and I'm tired of it. I'm, and I'm disappointed. And I'm disappointed that, that, in, that some things are not better. And so I want to listen, and I want to help where I can. So what's the next step? Where do we go with that? And let me finish with this. Because um, I'm, I'm just not the type to throw a brick through a window. Um, I, I can't, you know, uh, let's burn it down. And, um, but there are, there, are, there are real problems, and, and, we, and we need to talk about it. Um, and we need to do what we can to move things forward and, and make things better. Yeah, I, I know there's conversations about slavery. I, I understand slavery ended 170 years ago, and, and I know the history. I know about the 13th Amendment. I know about redlining and what that did in the black community. I know about the war on drugs and what that did, and, and I, I, I got the, the story. Um, but because, because really, and if you don't know that story, it is worth learning these things and, and understanding the history here of how we got to where we are. Um, because the, 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 
the, the legacy of those things is not some statues on Monument Avenue. The legacy of those things is things like the criminal justice system or the, 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 the public school system or just things like that that, are, that still struggle along ethnic lines. Um, the, you, you see it. You guys can't see this because you're all just looking at me. And I can't see you incredibly well because of these bright lights. But what I can see are the exit signs over the doors up there at the top of this room. And those exit signs are there and those doors are there because originally, in the original plans of this building, the balcony was going to have bathrooms up there because that was supposed to be colored seating only in the balcony. So the legacy of those things exists in the architecture around us. It's, it's here. Um, and, and so we need to pay attention and we need, we need to recognize, hey, this is real and there, these are some challenges. Here's... Um, uh, I, I, I'm not going to put a brick through a window, um, but I don't want to just become a complete moderate who does nothing and just says, well, this isn't the right time. And I'm actually challenged by Martin Luther King on this. Martin Luther King uh, was arrested in Birmingham, and there were some white pastors in Birmingham who said, we agree with you, man, just like tone it down and you'll get what you want. And he wrote the famous letter from the Birmingham jail, and he wrote it to uh, the, these white pastors and uh, I want you to hear what he said because it makes me uncomfortable. So, but I think it's good. He says this, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the past years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. And as a white clergyman, that makes me uncomfortable. Because I wonder in my own heart, am I, will I just drift toward, will I do nothing and drift towards lukewarm acceptance? And sort of go like, nah. Okay, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's maybe just a little better way we could do it. Let's just tweak it a little bit. Um, I, I, I don't want to be um, the mob with a brick, but I do want to be thoughtful, but I don't want to drift into lukewarm either, so I've got to keep the issue hot and, and, and front and center. Here's three conclusions, and this is what I wanted to end with. Um, I know I said I'm done a while ago, and your stomach started rumbling and stuff like that. I wasn't done, but this time for real. Um, Three things. Number one, um, Christians can't just go to work. And this is, I would put this life lessons of lockdown. This is where it's kind of gotten clear to me over the last couple months. Christians can't just go to work on their own individual sins. They have to push for more just systems in the world. And us preachers are as guilty of this as anyone, in, at least in the, in the predominantly white churches, where we say, look, sin is your sin. You are responsible for it. You are justified by grace through faith. And you, you know, all of this stuff. And we, we tell people that. And we go, man, you look at your, the sin in your life. And you deal with it. And you come to Jesus. And he forgives you. And you move forward. And you try to be better. And all that's great. But that is so personal that is so individualistic, that is so almost American that we lose the corporate responsibility 
of, of sin because my sin sometimes becomes, it has effects on other people and sometimes it can become a systemic thing. It can, it, it can, it can spread out into, and I, I could help, because of my own sin, I could help develop unjust systems. This is what God speaks to the people in Isaiah 58. The people in, in the Old Testament, they would fast. The Jews, they would fast to go, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna not eat, which is about me, right? I'm gonna not eat and I'm gonna pray, which is about me and God, my relationship. And I would do that and I would look very holy and I'd look very humble because I'm not eating and I'm, and I'm, and I'm fasting before me and God and it's all personal. And listen to what God says to them in Isaiah 58. He says, is such... The fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? And if I'm a Jew, I'm going, well, yeah. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to do that. That's acceptable, right? You like that. Is not this the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? It, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? God's not letting them just do the personal relationship with Jesus thing. He's saying, you have a responsibility that's greater than you to the larger system. And, and, and trust me, I am wrestling with this. I've had more conversations over the last couple weeks about how do you confess sins that are not your own, but that are from ancestors or, you know, people that have gone before. And what does that look like? How, how, how legitimate is it to confess someone else's sins? I'm having conversations about that. So that's number one. Number two, racism is a discipleship issue, not just a political issue. Here's the deal with this. Uh, we are so um, utterly drenched in politics right now. We are so uh, just drowning in political opinion. And it's very easy for ethnic and racial conversations to become political conversations. If we can divide over a virus, we can divide over race easy. That's not even hard, right? Um, because it has a person attached to it that we can, you know, start to think of as less than and that kind of thing. Um, this is not a, a, a political issue. This is a discipleship issue. And the reality is, if your mind is drenched in American political opinion from the right or from the left, all week long, click here, read this, get into this, watch this show, listen to this. If you're drenched in that and you're soaking in that all week long, there's not much I'm going to say in 30 minutes that's going to undo that. The people of God need to be in the word, reading it, letting our minds soak in that so we can reorient ourselves to the truth of the image of God in all of humanity and to understand that and live that out well. We have to start there and go, this is a discipleship issue. Ethnicity matters, and I need to do it well, and I need to love well people who are, who are different than me. And then finally this, we need to take time to listen to those who are different from you. This happens to all of us, but I think pastors uh, can sometimes live in bubbles. And um, sometimes pastors, when it comes to issues around the scripture, let's say, they they're the experts in the room. So it's like, oh, well, you know, you can't tell me because I already know and I've already read that. And I, and, but have you read this? And you can kind of play that game. And, and really what happens over time, and I think pastors have to be concerned about this, but I actually I think this goes for all of us, is what happens over time is that when you think you know and you think you've got it and you think you're the expert and you think you're smart on this, it's very hard for anyone to tell you anything differently. And you know this because you have an uncle, you have a sister, you have that guy that's going to be at Thanksgiving, then you're just like, oh yeah, they think they know and then you can't tell them anything. And so you know what that's like. It's like the curse of knowledge. You know a lot about a thing, so you think you know about everything else. And 
when we get like that, we don't hear people anymore and we're missing valuable information. We're missing what people's lived in experiences. So open, uh, this would be the time for us to open our ears and, and, and close our mouths a little bit. And, and not that we will never speak, but let's listen first and speak up second. Um, that would be kind of my last step for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a huge topic, and we just scratched the surface today. I pray that this is helpful. I pray that um, we can look at everyone as an image bearer and part of your beautiful creative design, and that we will uh, treat people as that, um, as, as having the dignity that you have given them. Um, God, I thank you that Jesus has brought us all together and broken down the wall of hostility that might exist between any one of us in this room but that we are all brothers and sisters. God, may we extend that kingdom, that community to all peoples of the world. May we do the work to extend it here in Richmond so that people will know you. May we do the work to extend that kingdom in Turkey so that more people will know you there. Um, may we do that work to extend the kingdom in Vietnam so that more will know you there. And God, may we see each other as part of the family um, together. Thank you, Lord, for this important conversation and important stuff that's going on. May we do better and... Um, and, and pave a better way forward uh, for this church, for this city, um, for, for our lives, for the, for, the, for the place we're leaving to our children. May we, may we do better with this. In, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.